Hey guys, it's time for Nina's Got Good News. Nina's a former TV news gal who used to share all the news. Now, as a mom and small businesswoman, she wants to share only the good stuff. It's time to brighten your day. So here's your host, Nina B. Clark. Hi friends, how are you? Welcome back. Thank you so much for showing up in this space. This is a movement to share good news and we are growing every single week with a new episode on iTunes and Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and Outcast. How about that? We are growing and it's all because of you guys. Today on podcast number 58, we are talking about a couple of topics that I'm so excited to talk about today. We are talking about side hustles, and you guys know that I love that topic because I love side hustles since I do so many side hustles every single day, including this podcast. My third baby is indeed a side hustle for me, and we're also going to be talking about money. This is a topic we all tend to think about a lot. Sometimes we worry about money. Sometimes we stress about money, but today we're going to shift that mindset with some expert advice from an amazing woman who can help all of us so much. Her book is called, and I love this title, her book is called The Dumb Things That Smart People Do With Their Money. She's a CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, Jill Schlesinger. Welcome to the podcast, Jill. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, I'm so excited that we're able to connect. And what I love so much about you when I watch you on TV or I listen to you on the radio or on your podcast is that you take really complicated financial issues, right? That are way over my head, but you make them understandable and relatable to all of us, to people like me. And for that, I just want to say, I applaud you, but I have no idea how you do that. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like trying to explain something that comes very naturally to somebody, you know, like it just comes naturally to me. And so thanks for saying that. But that is essentially what my entire job is to demystify anything that has a dollar sign. So whether that's issues in the economy or down to personal finance, it's just a, a real gift to be able to bestow on someone because I don't have like these crazy money issues and not like because I have a zillion dollars, just because it just it 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 was just not one of my many issues. I have other issues that I'm sure that you could speak to, but this just happens to be the one that I got totally got down pat. That's awesome. Well, it is such a gift. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Jill. What's your background exactly? I grew up a very tall soccer playing, basketball playing girl in Scarsdale, New York. And um, I, and, and the reason why I mentioned sports is that it really was sort of defining for me. And so um, I always like to say to, I'm not a mother. I'm a mother to four-legged creatures, not two-legged creatures, but to every mother out there, the very best thing you could possibly do is to encourage your girls and boys to play some team sport early on, because it is like the gateway to how do you survive in the workplace and especially for young girls it is uh it is amazing to watch not like you should go crazy and send them up to every single league in the world but just it's amazing to see how confidence really does improve for young girls if they do play sports they don't even have to be good they just have to do something so um so i grew up in a household where um we really talked a lot about money my dad was a trader on the floor of the american stock exchange so i used to work for him i worked for his best friend on the new york stock exchange so i got immersed in the world very early. I went to college to play sports. I played soccer and lacrosse in college. I graduated. 
My first job on Wall Street, I was a trader on the floor of the Commodities Exchange, which for some of you who may be old enough to remember is the setting of Trading Places, that movie with Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, right? Yes. So I worked on a the floor of the Comex. There were 800 men. There were eight women. And so I was a trader. It was kind of a crazy exchange. It was really the wild west of all the trading floors. And I lasted a few years, not much more, and then ended up going into money management and really concentrating on individuals. And I became a certified financial planner because I wanted to really just help people figure out how to make money less scary and how they could achieve their goals. Along the way to get business, I hosted a radio show and then I started doing some television. And 10 and a half years ago, someone who um, has was had seen me on TV and I had done some stuff at CBS, basically knocked on my door and said, we'd love to have you come join us. And that was my entry into a different, a third career, um, which is working as the business analyst at CBS News. So I do a lot of TV, I do a lot of radio. And as you said, I've got a podcast and a radio show. Both of them are called Jill on Money. And uh, again, the whole goal of what I do is to take the mystery out of people's financial lives. When I go on the broadcast, I can hopefully take the mystery out of some of the headlines and try to build some context into what's going on. But at the end of the day, what I like doing more than anything else is on my show, talking to people and helping them get from A to B. Yeah. And you do that so well, Jill. Bravo to you. And I appreciated the shout out for team sports. Um, as, a, as my daughter plays ice hockey and lacrosse, and she's already, you know, really appreciating how important it is to be part of a team. So I appreciate that advice so much. And I really love reading more about your book. Uh, I think it's awesome. Not only did I mention how much I love the title, but in your book, you talk about that one of the dumb things we all do is to give money more importance than it should have. And why are we all doing this? And why do you think we're so emotional about money? Well, you know, I, I think it's the curse of being a human being and uh, we can't escape it. And what I found when I was researching, the, the whole point of doing this book is that for a long time ago, I said, I really got to write a book. I got to write a book. I got to write a book. And I really didn't have a unique angle. I think there's a zillion financial books out there. There's plenty of books out there for people who are, need an entry level rudimentary exploration of like how to manage your money. And there are lots of get rich quick books. But I, I found that for my friends, my colleagues, uh, my former clients. They were people who had jobs and they had careers that were really fruitful and they were doing great and that their personal financial life was a little bit of a mess. And I think it does get down to this idea that no one really teaches us how to do this, but also that we're very, we're emotional. You cannot help it. And, and so when I was trying to figure out a book and a really had to lay it out. I thought, what were the, what are the things that people do over and over that throw, like kind of throw a wrench in their own game plan? They shoot themselves in the foot. And I came up with my executive producer, Mark Talercio. We, we, we started like sort of looking at all the different calls that came into the radio show, all the different emails. And then I talked to some of my former colleagues at my old firm and we kind of started assembling this list of things. And you know, there were some very critical mistakes that people make, but it seemed to always come down to this. It, your emotions get in the way. And in the world of money, there's usually two big emotions. There's fear and there's greed. 
And those two emotions can lead us astray because when we're fearful, we can put our heads in the sand, we can ignore things, or we will make irrational decisions. And when we get greedy, we can sort of be out there and take on too much risk or presume that everything's just going to be fine or that, you know, gosh, I don't, I don't need to do a will because I guess I'm never going to die. And all of these things are grounded in this, this terrible complexity of human behavior. And I'm not saying that I have the key to how to overcome human behavior. I just have some of the warning signs that can help people avoid the pitfalls along the way. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love, I love in the book, you have your big three, your, key, your three key things to gain control over, over all of our finances. Let's walk through those. What are the top three and walk through them with us? So I know that your listening audience probably has these down pat. I know that. Okay. So of I just course. want to be clear about we're, this. We're experts like you, Jill. So, I mean, you don't even have to be an expert, but I'm going to presume you do, but I will liken this in my, you know, sort of old farty uh, athletic way to say, these are the fundamentals. This is, you know, for your daughter taking slap shots. This is for anyone who's shooting foul shots. These are your, these are your foundations. And it's great if you happen to have a kid who's in college or graduating from college, these are the three things that you want to impart on that, that kid to start. And then first thing is you want to aggressively pay down all of your consumer debt. And that debt can be a nasty old credit card, could be a car loan, could be even a cheap car loan, or it could even be a student loan, which is not bad debt, but it's debt nonetheless. And so we want people to really concentrate on eradicating that debt. The second thing is to have an emergency reserve fund, to have some pot of money for your rainy day. And that pot of money is should be equal to six to 12 months of your living expenses. And it can't be invested. And yeah, sure, you might say to me, I have a home equity line of credit. I could pull that down if I had an emergency. That's fine. But I would prefer an actual an emergency reserve fund. And the third thing is that you want to maximize your retirement plan contributions. Now, for some people, if you're juggling one and two, you may only be able to put in, say, up to the match of your employer. You know, I work at CBS, I've got $12,000 of student loans. And so what I'll do is I'll try to take, I'll, I'll put, you know, 6% of my, my income, my salary away into the 401k, capture the match. And with every extra dollar, I'll work on paying down that student loan. Those are your big three. And frankly, if we had more people who just really concentrated on those big three things, that's all you have to worry about. Once those three things are accomplished, once you tell me, hey, I've done all three of those and I'm putting $19,000 away into my retirement account plus an extra 6,000 because I'm over 50 or whatever it is. Once you've maxed out, then we move on to the next things. But those are your three biggies. Yeah, those are really good. And I, I, have, a, I have a little bit of work to do, Jill, but you're helping me so much and I appreciate how simple you keep it for us. That's really important. Let's talk a little bit about real estate. When it comes to home ownership and this whole debate about buying versus renting. What's your best advice on that? Uh, my best advice is like anything else. It depends. I, and I, I understand that, that we have a culture that was essentially geared towards homeownership and the tax code favored it and mythology in, encouraged it. And even the past, 
past where you probably have parents who said, oh, I bought my house in 1968 and I paid $38,000 for it and it's worth $400,000. And it sounds so good, but not every single household necessarily is in a position to buy and you shouldn't feel bad about that. And in fact, I would say that since some changes in the tax code went into effect in the beginning of 2018, that home ownership is a little bit less appealing. And for young people, I hate that they put themselves under the pressure to buy when maybe renting would be better. And, you know, I think that there's sort of like two ends of the spectrum. One is the really young and the older people out there. My mother was... Um, lived in a home her whole life. My father died. And after he died, someone knocked on the door of her house and said, I want to buy your house. And she was a little bit at sixes and sevens trying to figure out, oh my God, where am I going to live? And she has become quite a happy renter in, you know, as she approaches her ninth decade. And she really was very clear in that she said, you know, the idea of turning the key and not worrying about what happens and not having that responsibility is kind of nice. So I think that you always have to run the numbers. If buying in your community makes sense, that's great. But don't kill yourself if you can't afford it. I just was talking to a young couple, uh, my friend's kids, and uh, she's 38, he's 43. They bought a house five years ago, and it's actually just become a bear for them to manage it. And so they just sold it. And they took the money that was in equity and they put it aside and they paid off some debt and they are now renting and they just need a reset because the house was dragging them down. So it doesn't mean that everybody should rent, but it also doesn't mean everybody should buy. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Really important. So Jill, let's move to this topic that I'm so excited to talk to you about, the growing trend of side hustles. First of all, I just love this word. I love the whole term. You know, I'm a fan of side hustles because as I mentioned, I'm currently doing a few side hustles that actually allow me to work from home, raise my, raise my two kids and contribute to our finan family's financial situation. So why do you think so many people like me are choosing to do side hustles? Why is this a growing trend? Well, first of all, um, you know, I, I never knew the word and the movement behind side hustle until I met Chris Gillibo, who has now become a good, good friend of mine. He wrote a book called The $100 Startup, and then he wrote another book called Side Hustle, and he just wrote a book called 100 Side Hustles. And people who are interested in this, he's got a great podcast that's called um, Side Hustle School. It's great. Um, and what I really was trying to understand is the difference between a side hustle and a gig worker. And um, one of the things, so we just did a segment about this on CBS this morning, and my producer Lisa and I were really trying to articulate what there is a difference. And so a gig worker to us, as we started researching it, was somebody who was, say, driving an Uber and also maybe doing or doing a delivery service or something. Like there, there was like a real... Um, just a utilitarian part of that. I'm doing this for money. I am not necessarily doing this because I love it. I'm doing this because I need an extra stream of income. And the people who were really in becoming enamored with the idea of a side hustle were almost a subset of that. Yes, they 
like making some money. But the side hustle seemed to be more of a passion project. And we saw a lot more of the side hustle um, community grow after the financial crisis, where maybe that was somebody who started with like, oh my gosh, I needed like a little bit of extra money and my hours were cut down or I lost a shift, but then quickly morphed into something more than that, that it was something I really loved to do. You started this podcast, not necessarily motivated by I'm going to make a million dollars because it's probably not going to make a million dollars, but it started as some sort of project, a passion project that you wanted to get your feet into this world. You come from a broadcast background. It was a natural, you're doing it, right? The fact that you're now being, you can monetize a part of it is great, but it wasn't your, that was not your motivator, right? That's and right. So I think that what side hustles have become are a subset of the gig economy where people do things they really love to do or they have a skill that they're exploiting and making money while they do it. Some side hustles become full-time careers. This may become the biggest podcast in the universe and you'll quit everything else and uh, your partner will quit a job and that's what you're going to do. You're going to run this podcast. But for most people, the side hustle is a really good way to bring in some money, do something you love. And in many cases, the side hustle often comes along with a full-time nine to five gig. So in your case, it doesn't, but for a lot of people, it might be a way to sort of uh, have explore a part of you that you're not using in your real life, in your nine to five job. And I love the concept of side hustles myself because I am a side hustler all over the place, you know? So I, I have a radio show. It's different than my podcast. It's different than my writing. It's different than my book. It's different than my world at CBS. All of those things come together and create Jill on money or have like all different aspects of it. But each of them is a slightly different part of my personality that I like to explore essentially giving me some more control and a diversified stream of income around the, around the whole body of work. What do you think is the biggest challenge for so many of us when it comes to finding the right side hustle for you? Do you, like you called it the passion project? Do you think it's the way to go is to, you know, seek out your passion or is it more like, where can I get the most bang for my buck in terms of get that additional stream of income? Well, you know, uh, Chris Gillibo would say to you, like, think about the thing that you do really well that comes naturally to you. And he would say that in his community of side hustlers, that it is often like when he tells the stories of these people, it's often people who do something very naturally during their day job that can translate to outside income. So an example might be that I work in finance in my company. I do that, numbers come really very easy to me. And then on the side, what I realize is that I can actually help people do tax preparation. And it doesn't feel onerous because I don't do that all the time, but I can just help them. Or it might be that I am an amazing, um, I, I am an amazing piano player. I love playing the piano. And on the side, what I do is I give piano lessons or I have a friend of mine who speaks Mandarin Chinese and she says, you know, it's kind of fun for me to like keep like keep that going. And so she'll tutor kids in Mandarin or something like that. So that's often where it will start. It could be that, hey, I'm a TV producer. I don't want to work full time and be subject to the the whims of 
breaking news. So what do, what do I know how to do? You might think of that and say like, oh my God, I, can't, I don't have a transferable skill because all I know is how to make TV. And I would turn around and say, wait a minute, you know how to communicate and everybody wants that. So you might say as a TV producer, you might say, well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to help people write small and small businesses help with corporate communications, or I'm going to help someone figure out how to shoot a video for their business. And those are the kinds of things that I think you you go to. And even if you have like a little idea and you want to scratch an idea, like, God, I everyone loves it when I bake these cookies and I bring them in. I don't want to like be so boring as to say like, yes, a cookie company, but a cookie company can work. I was talking to a woman, I was interviewing a woman today for my, she's a clinical psychologist and she ended up making a whole separate career doing basically corporate consulting walking into organizations saying like, yeah, you are a screwed up organization. And let me, let me observe and let me show you. She applies the concepts of psychotherapy in a corporate environment and has leveraged that into a whole nother business. So, you know, it, we, I guess we've gone a long way from like, I'm a moonlighter, right? Like uh, I put an ex-husband through medical school and all of his friends in medical school were moonlighting to make extra money. And yeah, you know, you don't want to necessarily work in an emergency room if you have to work 12 hours after that. But is there something else that you can do, some part of you that's really good at something that sounds fun for you to do on the side? And it could be even something, you know, Chris started his side hustle career basically looking around his apartment and saying like, what could I sell on eBay in the early years and started his career that way. And that's a long winding road and I'm giving Chris tons of plugs because I just, I adore him. And I just think that the way he describes his own life is amazing. It's really is. Yeah, no, Chris sounds amazing. I'm going to put all his information in the show notes so people can follow along as well. How do you know when your side hustle can actually become like the perfect fit for like a full-time job instead of just a side hustle? Yeah. I mean, I, oftentimes people will say to me, I want to be an entrepreneur. I have an idea. And I say, great, test it out as a side hustle. It's a great, like it's a beta test, right? So I think the way you do it is a pretty clear, which is you, you build up a little side hustle and it grows, it grows, it grows. And then you have to make a decision like, okay, this thing is bringing in, I'm going to make up numbers, right? This is bringing in $50,000 right now. I make $80,000. Maybe if I did this $50,000 thing full time, I could make 80. And I'd say, yes, but, or yes, and. Yes, it could, but would it be the kind of thing you want to have as your sole focus? Sometimes a side hustle is so great because it does not require your full-time attention. And also, look, it's scary out there. You have to want to go sell this thing. You have to want to go and make money with it. You might want to keep those delicious benefits you have and that nice 401k with a match and might find that the side hustle is exactly perfect as it is. It is right-sized for your life. So what you really need to think about is what, you know, go back to the beginning, which is what are my bills? What are my monthlies? How much does this bring in? How much do I really think I can make with it? And am I willing to give up the security and the safety of having a full-time job that is doing a really good job and doing the heavy lifting of the family's financing? Yep. Very good advice. Very practical. Very good. I'm always going to say to myself, what would Jill do? That's going to be my new, my new phrase. Yes. Me and Jesus. WWJD, like me and Jesus Christ. I'm going to think of you when I'm making these decisions. 
So Jill, a lot of um, listeners that might be moms out there like me, um, do you think side hustles are a good way for people like me who want to sort of dip their toe, like keep one foot in the working world? Like are side hustles a good solution for that, do you think? I do. You know, I think that it's very difficult because I think that people who decide, parents who decide they want to be home full time with their kids have two challenges. One, it could be lonely. It really can be. I, I don't care. You could have the greatest mommy group in the world. At the end of the day, you got your kids, you're in your house. And if you're the kind of person who's really social or you've worked in an office environment, I'm sure that you could tell better than I that that transition could be hard. It really can be. So I think a side hustle is good also for your own socialization. But, I, you know, and, and so, so that's one part of it. And I would also say that the side hustle does help you kind of keep your skill set up. So here you are. You are doing all these different things. Now you got a, am I outing you by saying you were a TV news star in, in your own right? <laughs> Back in the day, maybe. I don't know. We'll have to ask Lisa, Lisa uh, Zobel about that. Okay, so you know you are you may have been like a superstar producer back in, in at certain point, and by continuing to do these things, you're now you know podcasting. So maybe your kids are grown and or are sort of on their way, and maybe in a few years you say, "Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm now going back into the workforce, and I can go back and say I've been hosting a podcast. I understand these platforms. I've been doing social. Like that, you're part of the conversation." And I'll, I'll draw a very distinct, distinct um, uh, situation. My sister was out of the workforce for 25 years, and she did charitable work. She did this. She had a rich husband. She was lucky. Okay. All that being said, when she wanted to reenter the workforce, she had a tough time. And she had to work many, like probably four or five years in advance of her actually going back into the workforce to position herself to be someone who was relevant. And that took time and it took energy. Whereas I think when you have that side hustle along the way, you don't have to have that big, huge gap. It gives you a huge advantage to say, I have a foot in the world of work and I'm part of the conversation and you future employer don't have to look at my resume and be sort of doing the calculation in your head and saying, oh, I see that uh, she was on the mommy track. Oh, I see he was on the daddy track. Uh, probably doesn't really get what's going on now. So mm, no, I'll pass. I think it's a great thing to do to stay, to stay engaged yourself and to keep your skill set honed for the modern workplace. I think that's so great. Thanks so much, Jill. We'll see you on CBS News. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you for listening to My Mom's Podcast. Remember, you can find Nina's Got Good News on iTunes and Spotify, also on Google Play, Stitcher, and Outcast. Also, rate and review all her podcasts, too. And please share it with a friend. The mission of this podcast is to get better together as a community in the audio space. Please follow my mom on Instagram. She's Nina B. Clark. Clark has an E at the end. For now, I'm Blaine Clark. Thanks again for listening. Let's keep being awesome. XOXO.